This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. We noticed that the RQ number, the direct lactic number, was the most telltale sign of how sour the final product was going to be compared to the TA. I really recommend that people do an experiment like this on their own because the growth conditions, the substrate, are really going to influence what the final character is going to be from that bacteria. This week on the show, Tim Lozen joins us from Bell's Brewery to talk about their quest to optimize bacteria selection for sour beer production. This work was awarded Best Poster, People's Choice at the 2017 Master Brewers Conference. Happy New Year, everyone! What you're about to hear originally aired last April. This holiday season, we're bringing back a couple of my favorite episodes from 2018. We're back next week with a brand new episode that you won't want to miss. Tim, you did some work comparing the performance of several lactic acid bacteria strains. Give us some background. What's the application? What were you hoping to achieve? Sure. Well, it started out because we've been running a reactor system here for one of our brands where we uh, use a portion of sour wort in it. And we've been doing that for several years now. Along the way, you know, we've had a lot of trial and error. We've had a lot of inconsistencies. So when we decided to ramp up that brand, we really wanted to pour some money into a new reactor system. And along the way, we wanted to figure out if we were doing things right. So we thought, well, what if we kept everything the same? And maybe some of these inconsistencies might be from the lactose strain itself, you know, just as we use different strains of yeast to achieve different characteristics. We thought the same might be possible with the lacto that we're using in our reactor system. Lactic acid bacteria strains can be categorized by how they metabolize glucose. Talk about that. Sure. So we knew that um, we were using heterofermentive strains, so strains that don't produce solely lactic acid. Um, So we have heterofermentative and homofermentative strains. Homo will produce solely lactic acid from glucose, and heterofermentative should produce a multitude of things, usually like acetic acid or sometimes ethanol or CO2. 
And so we knew that we were working with heterofermentative lactobacilli, and therefore we assumed that we were getting a fair amount of flavor out of a lacto on top of just lactic acids. So we wanted to dive in there and see what the differences were in that. And then there's a third category, too, um, known as facultative heterofermentative. What, why don't you explain that? Sure. So facultative heterofermentative are going to take, um, will produce CO2 and other byproducts under specific conditions from or from specific substrates compared to facultative, which are going to produce no matter what, no matter what the growing conditions are, the substrate, they're going to produce different things besides just lactic acid. And you trialed some strains from each of those three categories, right? Correct. So we did eight strains altogether. We did Lactobacillus brevis, KCI, Buccaneeri. We did uh, some Delbruckii subspecies Bulgaricus, some Delbruckii subspecies Delbruckii, and Delbruckii subspecies Lactus, as well as Plantarum and Rosier. Let's talk about your method. What was the scale? Did you use an existing wort stream or these mixed yeast and bacteria fermentations? Give us the lowdown. So we wanted to keep yeast out of the picture because, again, we were just looking at the flavor profiles and the acidity production of the lacto on its own. We used an existing wort stream that we had. So like I said before, we were using this reactor system for a specific brand that we had. So we just stuck with the wort type for that brand. It was about 50% pale malt and 50% wheat malt. It was unhopped. We boiled it for... Uh, like five to ten minutes just to kill everything off so that way we knew we were just working with the, the single lacto strain and then for scale wise we took um, we sourced these lactose from from different places and then we'd inoculate that into a nine mil mrs broth tube and we let that grow for several days and then we'd pitch that either in a half mil or one mil into about 900 milliliters of wort and then we let that grew for seven days and then we did our sensory experiment all right tell us about the criteria you use to judge these strains sure so we uh tested them for both titratable acidity as well as a direct lactic method that we called the reflectometer and that is a little instrument that we bought through emd millipore it was kind of nifty one of the some of the preliminary work that we did for this was kind of testing out how we measure success from a lactose strain. So what we're going to measure, things like pH, titratable acidity, um, and what that's going to tell us. We found that we wanted to use some liquid chromatography to tell us uh, the direct lactic and acetic, but that became pretty time-consuming and expensive. So in searching around, we found a little instrument essentially is an enzymatic test we dip these little things into our wort and stick it in a little instrument and it kind of gives us a direct meaning or direct measurement of lactic acid so we uh, went with that as well because we were curious on the relationship between direct lactic and titratable acidity and then we also ran it through our alkalizer for abv and our gc for bdks Titratable acidity, we could we could and probably should do an entire episode just on that. Um, but how about giving an overview of what that is and why it matters? Sure. So titratable acidity is going to be some of, of essentially all acids that can be measured in uh, in your substrate. 
So it's really important to us because we're looking at acid-producing bacteria. And so, of course, we want to see how much acid they're producing and then how much of that is going to translate into the final product. And so it's going to be the sum of any acetic acid or lactic acid that are going to be the two main types of acid that are going to be produced by these bacteria. And so we really wanted to dig in and see how that was important. We did a lot of work originally on what TA method we were going to use, what worked for us, and we ended up on phenylthylene actually because it was quick and easy, and when we compared it to ASPC Beer 8, the specific method for TA, uh, the numbers were relatively close. They tracked well together, and the phenylthylene method was just really quick and easy. And so it's something that we do on a daily basis. It doesn't take much time at all. That's and cool. was giving us numbers that made a lot of sense to us. So we kind of went with it. All right, great. So you've got your, you've got TA giving you the, um, you know, all the acidity. And then uh, you've got the reflectometry, which uh, also known as RQ that you referred to earlier, which is just giving you lactic acid, right? Correct. Yep. And, and then we really wanted to see what the relationship between those were going to be, what type of acids were being produced by these bacteria. So like I said, we measure uh, TA on a daily basis just to see what the health of the reactor is and, and sour word overall. So that gives us a, a general idea of how well the lactose is performing. So the TA keeps going up, then we know we're doing good. Um, from our experience, we, we know what type of gains in TA that we're going to get over time. Uh, the RQ number we like a lot because, again, it showed us in the experiment types of lacto we're producing mainly lactic acid versus a number of other acids that would push that T up but keep the RQ number down. And then we measure RQ on a weekly basis, and that kind of gives us a good indication. So if we're looking, so we can keep these react reactors going for, I think our record at this point is about a year and a few months. But it's not uncommon for us to go eight months at a time of refilling these things and just keeping these things going. So the RQ is a good method. If the RQ stays relatively the same, but the TA keeps going up, then we know that either the lactose is not performing how it usually does, or maybe something else got in there that's making some other acids. So that's generally a good time to turn that thing around. Um, the RQ is also a great measurement of the direct lactic is a great measurement of how sour the final beer is going to end up. So that's something we noticed because you can have an extremely high TA. We've seen TAs of one and a half percent and then or two, even up to like two, two and a half percent. And then we taste the resulting beer that we make from that. And it just doesn't have that much punch to it compared to some reactor work that might only be one, one and a half percent on the TA scale but a much higher IQ number, and then that beer will be much sour than the 2% TA number was, have a lot more lactic punch to it. So we like the RQ because it gives us a nice number of, a, a good indicator of how sour that final product's going to be. And then if we want to talk about consistency, we could also take that number and then plug it into a formula and figure out the ratio of titratable and direct lactic that we want in the final product. So if we want, you know, something that's not incredibly sour, but has a nice kick to it, then we could do the math there and, and figure out exactly how much wort, sour wort to add into 
a word stream to, to get where we want to be. Okay. Uh, in a minute, we'll get on to the, um, the eight sensory attributes you use. But before that, you mentioned that you also are tracking pH um, is one of the parameters you evaluated here. What do you consider as ideal for pH in this type of situation? You know, I think it really depends on your application. Uh, the brand that we use this in isn't particularly sour. And so we weren't terribly interested in getting the pH as low as we could at the end. I could tell you that the starting pH for these lactose was somewhere around six. Our wheat worts tend to be a little higher, so around five, eight, or six. And that we found has been a good starting point for these bacteria. Coming up. So we found that people overall really liked Bucaneri. And second place was lactobacillus casei followed by plantarum. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Barnum Mechanical, a full-service design-build firm specializing in turnkey process and utility systems for the brewing industry. We partner with some of the best craft brewers in the U.S. to ensure the great beer they brew is what their customers get in every glass, bottle, can, or keg. You know beer. We know breweries. Additional support provided by... ABS Commercial is a full-service brewery and parts outfitter. From our Raleigh headquarters to our Denver office, we proudly offer brew houses and fermenters from three barrels and up, yeast brinks, boilers, kegs, chillers, triclamp, and other stainless parts, all with the quickest delivery and lead times in the industry. Learn more at abs-commercial.com or call 877-BREW-ABS. ABS Commercial. We are brewers. Here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District St. Louis meets at Anheuser-Busch January 17th. Is PCR right for your brewery QC program? Check out the Master Brewers webinar January 24th. The District Ontario Annual Conference is January 31st and February 1st. District St. Louis meets February 21st at Third Wheel Brewing. And the 2019 California Joint Technical Conference is February 28th and March 1st in Paso Robles. It's not too early to start making plans for the 2019 Master Brewers Conference. If you can only make it to one conference in 2019, this should be it. We're really mixing it up this time and heading to the Calgary Convention Center to see how Alberta celebrates Halloween. Will there be a costume party? Only Tressa knows. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Now back to the show. All right, let's talk about those eight sensory attributes. What were those? So in the past, we, when working on this, uh, we dug in a little bit and we actually came up with a panel where we tested just the reactor work on its own on a regular basis, just to see what we were looking for there, any true to type characteristics, mainly so we could see if something started to go wrong or if it got infected with another type of bacteria or yeast, we'd be able to detect that relatively quickly and then start the thing over. Um, so from that panel, we used a lot of 
the script is the script of analysis. And some of the major characteristics that we pulled from that panel were a citrus character, so kind of like a lemony aroma and flavor. We did fruity, which can either be like an apple or and a lot of times we get a lot of stone fruit character from these. Funky, we did an acetic or vinegar character. Cheesy pukey, so usually like isolate <laughs> or cuteric, yeah. Mm. We definitely got some of that out of some of these. Uh, general acidity or sourness. We know that there can be some astringency associated with things that are relatively acidic. And then just a clean lactic character as well. Okay. Tell us about how you set up your sensory analysis for this trial. How many panelists did you have? Were they trained? What else were they scoring for? That sort of thing. Here at Bells, we do a lot of sensory work, and we have what we call our core panelists. So these are people who have undergone some rudimentary sensory training on you know, common compounds and, and off flavors found in beer. So we utilize that resource, as well as the panel I just talked about previously that was tasting a lot of sour wort from the past. Uh, generally, we had between 8 and 10 people. I think the maximum was 13 on there and we didn't do any specific sensory training based on those eight metrics that i just talked about um it was more just a a general feeling we were really looking for an overall preference score so what people really liked or didn't like and then kind of as a an aside to that we were looking for you know just a general sensory comparison between all the different strains all right walk us through your results Sure. So we found that people overall really liked Bucaneri. And second place was Lactobacillus casei, followed by Plantarum. And all of those bacteria uh, scored really high on the acidity sourness, as well as the clean lactic character. And Plantarum did pretty well for a fruity character as well. Uh, The other two didn't score that high for fruity, which was kind of surprising. Uh, Rosier came in fourth and then followed by bulgaricus uh, i should mention that we kicked out delbrookii subspecies lactis because it had an overwhelming cheesy pukey it's just like it was it was quite terrible and we knew that it wasn't going to do very well we knew that we weren't going to use it for this process so we just kicked it out of the sensory panel just to spare our panelists some <laughs> some grief. Makes sense. So the strain preferred by panelists had the largest differential between TA and RQ. What did that tell you? It told me that whatever else was being produced by that, it also had um, really low diacetyl levels. And it had, uh, I think it came out at like 0.64% for ABB, so, so pretty low. Um, so that kind of told me whatever else is producing besides lactic acid had some favorable sensory components to it. Uh, KCI scored really high for both the RQ and TA, and that told me that um, you know it was just a nice, clean lactic producer. It wasn't kicking out a bunch of acetic acid or ethanol or CO2 or anything like that. Um, people seem to prefer that one as well, but overall, they seemed to like what Bucaneri had to offer. All right. How about the facultative strains? Obviously, their performance was dependent on the environment that you put them into. Correct. And so, you know, I really recommend that people do an experiment like this on their own because the growth conditions, the substrate are really going to 
they're really going to influence what the final character is going to be from that bacteria. You know, I've heard a lot to talking to other brewers about strains of like brevis that don't tend to produce alcohol. I've heard from other brewers when they get their hands on brevis, they're getting up to two or 3%, you know, which could add significantly to your final product. If that's what you're looking for. Um, I've heard of people using pediococcus for, for souring. I've heard of people who get a lot of diacetyl. I've heard of people who don't get any diacetyl from that. So, I mean, really people doing this on their own, I think it's going to be really important to tailor it to their process and their, and what type of word they're using and the final character of the overall beer that they want. From a brewery operations standpoint, uh, wouldn't you say that working with a facultative strain is a much bigger headache? I would. Um, mainly because you, I guess you don't know the extent to which they're going to do what you want them to do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how about, did it, did all this work lead to, um, any major process changes at Bell's? Um, it did. I forgot to mention why, one of the reasons why we started doing this was because at the time, I think this was about three or four years ago, um, all of the major e-suppliers who were also supplying souring bacteria were labeling it as Delbrookii. Once we got our PCR equipment in here a few years ago, we decided to take a deeper look at what we were getting from these places, and we started plating out our bacteria on anaerobic SDA media. And from there, we found that we actually were using three different types of bacteria. Um, so from there, we separated them out based on morphology and kind of grew them up separately just to see what we were working with. And so in terms of process, what we found was, you know, of those three strains that we are using, none of them are Delbrookii. It turns out that it's incredibly hard to get Delbrookii in the United States. I should mention that Delbrookii was actually kind of kicked from the experiment because although we got it in from the ATCC, which is a very large bank that holds a lot of different types of yeast and bacteria strains, we couldn't actually get it to grow. And one of the reasons for that is we thought it was such a strict anaerobe and we weren't using anaerobic conditions that we we just couldn't get it to work for us at all. So um, that was kind of the end of the line for that one. And that we knew that we weren't going to be able to use it for our process. And then of the three that we separated out from that, they were Rosier, Buccaneeri, and Casei. <laughs> And that kind of spurred this whole thing. It's like, well, what are they doing for us? What are the contributions from each of those? Are all three of them necessary? Are we really only interested in one of them? And so we found out that we did like um, a couple of them. One of them didn't work out so well from us, so they kicked that. And essentially, we ended up going with a mixed culture fermentation of two different bacteria for our process. Do you ever have to worry about them getting out of proportion in the reactor? That's a great question. So that's something that we just started looking into recently. I think for us, the thing that we're most concerned about and that we still do on a very regular basis is sensory. So if the TA looks good, the direct lactic number looks good, and it tastes the way we want it to, then 
we're not terribly worried about the ratio of bacteria inside of the reactor. Okay. And, and the sensory component does seem to stay consistent over a relatively long period of time. And so, you know, it's not something that's concerned us very much, but it is something that we've started to look into uh, with our new microbiologist in the past couple months. That was Tim Lozen, winner of Best Poster People's Choice during the 2017 Master Brewers Conference. Tim's poster is available for download as part of the conference proceedings, which can be purchased from the store tab at mbaa.com. Are you running trials at your brewery? Of course you are. Why not put together a poster like Tim did for the next conference? One hundred and thirty years ago, Master Brewers was built on the concept of brewers helping each other out so we could all make the best possible beer. That's still true to this day, and it's where a lot of the camaraderie in this industry originated. Master Brewers' award-winning Ask the Brewmasters is the best place to go for troubleshooting, where you'll find the industry's only discussion forum that's moderated for technical accuracy by a team of experts. See what everyone else is talking about at community.mbaa.com. Two things that you should have 